Okay, we're here for our weekly Bible study for October 15th, uh, 2006. And we're going to go ahead and look at a short video clip today. Uh, but I'm going to play the audio for you. It was on MSNBC. Uh, this is uh, from a guy named Keith Oberman. Now, this man has been, he's always accused by the Republicans as being on the left, which... Granted, I'm not saying that the, that, the, that the man's a conservative, but he brings out a lot of truth. And there's truth that you can, be, that you can garner on both sides of this argument in regard to Democrat and Republican. But for the most part, what I've seen is it's just one, the same coin, each, each side having their own agenda. And so this is a short video clip that is pretty enlightening in regard to uh, President Bush. There's a book called Tempting Faith Out. And I'm just going to let you listen to this. Good evening, this is Thursday, October 12th, 26 days until the 2006 midterm elections. Just get me a effing faith-based thing. Eight words attributed to Karl Rove by author and former special assistant to the president, David Quo, that could by themselves very well decide those midterms. Our fifth story in the countdown, part two of our look inside Mr. Quo's extraordinary new book, Tempting Faith, written from his earlier vantage point as the number two man in Bush's Office of Faith-Based Initiatives. And though it's a very large tip, the Rove quote is just the tip of the proverbial iceberg. As we reported last night, Mr. Quo is making several explosive claims, among them that behind their backs the nation's top evangelical Christians were regarded with routine mockery and contempt by White House staffers, called nuts and ridiculous. We also told you that Quo writes that the faith-based office was so starved for support from the Oval Office that it was forced to transform itself into a political arm of Republican campaign efforts. David Quo is himself a self-described conservative Christian. His personal and his religious assessment of Mr. Bush is nowhere near the most newsworthy of Quo's revelations in our report tonight, but it might be a valuable key to understanding this president. When you accept Christ as a Savior... It changes your heart. To this day, Quo writes, he believes Mr. Bush loves Jesus, that he is a good man. However, Quo also writes, many Christians assume from his belief in Jesus Christ that Bush won't do what other politicians do, break their word, hide their mistakes, spin the truth, and that those assumptions are wrong. In Quo's eyes, today's national Christian leaders are being used. They did not have the same shrewdness, he suggests, that Billy Graham had in the 70s to question whether Richard Nixon was using him solely for his appeal to religious voters. In fact, Christians who voted for Mr. Bush based on his religion may have ended up hurting the very people Jesus sought to help, the poor. I urge the Senate to pass the faith-based initiative for the good of America. But Quo writes that when Senator Chuck Grassley tried to rewrite Mr. Bush's $1.7 trillion tax cut to include $6 billion in tax credits for groups helping the poor, tax credits Mr. Bush himself had publicly proposed, Quo writes Bush's assistant told Grassley to drop the charity tax credits. The White House had no interest. The cuts Mr. Bush did want made things worse for charities. Quo writes that the estate tax cuts discouraged charitable giving, costing charities an estimated $5 billion. The ultimate impact of Mr. Bush's tax cuts, Quo writes, was to brutalize the very charities Mr. Bush once identified as his top priorities. After only a year, Quo writes, charitable donations were down dramatically and some charities had shut down. 
Quo also writes that the White House was more concerned with the appearance of doing something. He says the faith-based office wasn't even set up during the 2001 transition after the end of the Clinton administration. It was not set up until Mr. Bush took office and Karl Rove gave a transition volunteer less than one week to roll out the entire faith-based initiative. The volunteer asked Rove how he should do that without a staff, without an office, without even a plan. According to Quo, quote, Rove looked at him, took a deep breath and said, I don't know, just get me a effing faith-based thing. Got it? Unquote. After that, it was easier to push faith-based legislation rather than faith-based funding because legislation was a cheaper way to show the president was supposedly doing something. Bush assistant Margaret Spelling, now the Secretary of Education, asked Quo for legislation and said she didn't care what kind. Any kind of faith bill would do, he writes. When the office got a substantive bill backed by every senator from Santorum to Clinton, the only holdup was a green light from Josh Bolton or Andy Card. They did not get the green light. What kind of bill did get such a support? Quo writes the White House liked the issue of religious hiring, not because it was a real issue affecting real charities, but because it was divisive, and that made good politics. Tempting faith also suggests that this Bush White House would use anything for politics. Anything. I really believe that the pagans and the abortionists and the feminists and the gays and the lesbians, all of them who tried to secularize America, I point the thing in their face and say, you helped this happen. After those comments, Quo asked whether Karl Rove still wanted to let Jerry Falwell attend the national service. Even while Ground Zero was still burning, politics still mattered. Rove let Falwell attend as long as he stayed off camera. While others wept, Quo writes, Falwell laughed about something with another conservative leader spotting Barbara Bush. Falwell remarked on how frumpy she looked. Even choosing There's the new faith-based director, Jim Toohey, was an issue of politics. Rove put out the word that for Toohey to get the job, he had to get as many cardinals as he could to vouch for him. He did, and he got the job. Quo freely admits that he, too, is no stranger to the politics of conservative compassion. He writes he spent much of the 90s lobbying for it. But at the time, he says the top Republican donors had no interest in fighting poverty. They had other enemies in mind and told Quo they would provide lavish funding if the target was not poverty, but instead the Clintons. And Quo would know about this. By the early 90s, he was already a conservative insider, part of Jack Kemp's think tank, Empower America. To help bring about the 1994 Republican Revolution, Quo writes that he and his team taught more than 600 candidates how to run for office by blaming President Clinton for the nation's sad state of affairs at the time. Quo writes that they tried to ignore the fact that Clinton had only just started in office after 12 years of the administrations of Presidents Reagan and Bush. Together with fellow Christian Mike Gerson, now Bush's top speechwriter, Quo writes that he wrote political speeches designed to appeal to religious audiences, even when the speakers did not want to give those speeches. Jack Kemp, for one, removed religious values language from a speech he was to give to the Southern Baptist Convention. So instead, Quo writes, Gerson and Quo snuck in a few phrases that evangelicals would recognize, but lay people would not. Quo writes that it was a code that would continue to be used in speeches over the years by politicians including John Ashcroft, 
Ralph Reed, Bob Dole, and George W. Bush. Okay, so I'm going to do a, just a small uh, my take on that on that uh, audio clip that you just heard. Um, in regard to all of that, when you're dealing with these so-called uh, modern-day religious leaders in America, you're dealing with people that are so sold out to the agenda of the New World Order that it's it's hard to even conceive. Um, and a lot of people would be up in arms me saying that, saying, oh, no, no, they're good men, they're this and that. Well, number one, none of them take a stance in the King James Bible. So they don't even know what the Word of God is, and that's incredibly important, because the Bible says that the foundations be destroyed. What can the righteous do? Well, they, they don't even know what their foundation is, which is the Word of God. Right there, that opens them up to deception. Not only that, those ministries are purely about making money. They're 501c3 entities about making money, and the IRS has say over them. They're not under God, they're under the government. That's their primary one, the, the primary institution they answer to is not God, but the government. Again, I always go back to these two points, and I have to keep hammering them, because that right there, their foundation's totally been corrupted. Um, there's so many things that if these were true men of God, they would be going crazy, basically trying to expose the evil that's going on. Yet there's none of that. There's really not. I mean, yes, they have some token things. Let's do this petition. Oh, it's terrible. I mean, on, on the real on the real extravagant issue, on the real extreme issues, this, they will take a stand many times. But so many things they're, they're not they're not taking stands on. Um, why is that? Well, because they're hirelings. And the Bible says that the hireling has no true love for the sheep. They're not they're not true shepherds, they're hirelings. Um, they're incredibly liberal. I mean, uh, each each one of these guys that that's, that uh, Oberman was saying is being used, they're being used willingly. And it, the least of their excuse would be that they're willingly ignorant. I don't think that they're even willingly ignorant. I think they know exactly what they're doing at that level. Fritz Springmeier's put out a book, uh, many books, but the one that deals with this issue in particular is Be Wise as Serpents. You can get it up on the internet. If you email me, I'll give you the link. You can actually go download the whole book online. Uh, you can't you can't buy it anywhere. If you were able to buy a copy, it would probably cost you 1000 to $2,000 because it would be so rare because the Illuminati has done everything they can to, de to try to destroy the majority of his books. Um... But his book uh, exposes how virtually at the top of every single major religious system in the world, not just pseudo-Christianity, but all the other ones, all the other denominations, and I'm talking Assembly of God, I'm talking Presbyterian, Lutheran, Southern Baptist, anybody that, 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 that have uh, ruling hierarchies, at the top of those religions, you, you have... Um, figureheads that are of the Illuminati, of these, uh, of the One World, New World Order. They're put there strategically because they can do the most damage at the highest levels. Because if the head be corrupt, how can the body not also be? And that's why the church is in the state that it's in today. Because these whole things about 
denominations and, and having this ruling hierarchy from above. It's not biblical. Show me that in the New Testament anywhere, where, where one church had to report to a mother church. It's not anywhere in the Bible. Um, the, there, there, there are so many things that the churches are doing today that aren't in the New Testament. They're not, it's just not there at all. But yet, people go into a church and they think this, that this is the way it's always been, so therefore it is good. No, it's not. That doesn't make it right. That's why I've come out of the, the modern-day church totally, because of these very reasons. Um, I'm trying to practice what I preach, literally. That's why I have this Bible study, to uh, explore these issues, so that we're not ignorant of Satan's devices, and so that we're not destroyed for lack of knowledge. Uh... And then we get into President Bush and this whole thing. Well, you know, I don't know what, what more you could say about him other than he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. Uh, as far as him being born again, the Bible says, by their fruit you shall know them. Well, I can give you point after point after point of documented evidence to show that his fruit is totally satanic and corrupt. He is using the whole pseudo-body, not just these ministers, but the whole pseudo-body of Christ. Supposedly they're the ones that put him in office. Whatever. The voting process is totally rigged at this point anyway. Especially now with electronic voting. If you doubt that, go to votescam.com. Um, that's not even, to me, a really point of debate as far as getting out there and voting. Your vote really doesn't mean a whole lot. Because of that, that dynamic that's taking place. So, with President Bush, um, if you really believe that he's born again, man, you, you need to really get in the, in the Bible and in the Word of God and compare his actions to what the Word of God says. A born-again Christian should be doing. He's incredibly double-minded, as you saw in this tape. He, he, he signs one bill one day, says one thing to one group, and then does the total exact opposite. Well, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. The Bible says, how can a fountain yield both salt and fresh water? He is appearing, trying to appear as an angel of light, but the Bible says if, if, if Satan can appear as an angel of light, it's no minister, it's no marvel that his ministers can also appear as angels of light. So that's not, it's not a really big deal. He's just using the whole born-again label to dupe the public, to dupe the pseudo-Christians. Some of them are real Christians. Many, most are pseudo. I'm sorry, I don't think they're saved. I don't. Um, and you notice how they're intermelding the whole thing with politics and religion. It's all, a lot of this hinged upon, uh, whether it's Catholic or, 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 or supposed evangelical Christian factions, melding with the politicians, I'll wash my hand, you wash mine type of deal. Um, that's all this is, really, anymore. They're all working toward the one world, the new world order, these, these organizations. And then, and then at the end, where they were they were blaming Clinton for everything. Oh, listen, I, I can't stand Clinton as much as the next person, but it's the Hegelian dialectic, which which was talked about, which has been talked about much in these Bible studies, where they create the problem, and then at the same time they also create their ultimate solution. They create this gigantic controversy. Synthesis, antithesis, and then what thesis? 
or no, thesis, antithesis, and then synthesis. In other words, they create the problem, then they, then they also create the opposition. And then they have this big uh, war between them. In this case, let's say Democrats versus Republicans. Those that are against Clinton and those that are on the Republican side. But in the end, they always get their agenda pushed through. And their agenda was getting Bush in office. And then when Bush got in office, then they orchestrated 9-11... And then when that happened, that was just the springboard for him to, to, to implement all of this new draconian legislation that's been passed since then via um, the Patriot Act, Homeland Security, all these different things that they've done. So, 99% of all Americans are, have absolutely totally been duped by this whole procedure. There's not a kernel of truth in it. It's all by design. Every bit of it. Uh, so, anyway, that, that's, my, that's my take on, on that uh, article we just saw. Um, this is an article Tex Mars just released recently. It's called The Illuministic Evil Exposed and um, Illustrated. He's wrote a book recently called Codex Magica, which if you doubt a lot of this more draconian things that I'm talking about that goes on in modern-day politics, the modern-day religious system, and the modern-day world that we live in, buy the book and see for yourself. The, the Bible verse he has here is Ephesians 5.11, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. That's a pretty gigantic verse. Is that what we're doing here with these Bible studies? Is there more need for this than any other thing in the church right now, I think? I think there is. Because hardly anybody else is doing it. That's why I'm going to endeavor, probably this week, to finally get these, these um, Bible studies up online. Because there's very few ministries that are really carrying this far enough. Some are doing a little bit. But I'm talking about, let's really go after it. Let's really... Let's really reprove the unfruitful works of darkness because it's darker now than it's ever been in the last 2,000 plus years most likely. I mean, granted, we have the dark ages, but there's still so much deception rampant right now where so many Christians or pseudo-Christians are calling good evil and evil good. Now, some of them are, are ignorant of these things and, and most of them are, I would say, but I would also say that they're willingly ignorant because they're really not seeking these things out. Because if they were really reading their Bible, something would, would, and it would need, it would really need to be a King James Bible, okay? But the Holy Spirit that lives inside you, if you're a born again Christian, should trigger that there's something wrong here. The Holy Spirit really lives inside you, and you're and you're going through today's modern day world in America, not seeing that there's something wrong with everything that's presented. And I don't mean being pro-Bush and thinking, yes, it's just that he hasn't had his chance to do a good enough job for us yet. No, no, that's not what I mean. If you're thinking that, at this point, that, that um, we just need another four years of another Republican in office or something, you're, you're delusional. You're totally delusional, and you need to get a grip. The Bible, Jesus said, if it were possible, regarding the times that we're living in, that even the very elect would be deceived. And that we are supposed to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. 
to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. That's what I'm attempting to do with these Bible studies. Text Mars goes on to say, the vast majority of people in our world today have no idea whatsoever that they are bombarded on every side by occult imagery, which is extremely dangerous and terribly destructive to their mental and spiritual health. Our entire culture is under severe and constant attack by satanic forces, but few are aware. Ignorance of danger, however, does not assure one of safety and survival. <clears throat> it is the Indeed, it is the ignorant who usually become the hapless and unwitting victims of the global conspiracy of the elite satanic worshippers. See, these people at the top that are orchestrating all of this are counting on you to remain ignorant and stupid about these issues. They're counting on you to do that, to do nothing, to, to, to not lift a finger about this stuff. They don't want to be exposed because darkness hates light. 21st century man foolishly believes himself to be an impervious to, to psychological attack. He fancies himself to be resistant to assault by mind controllers. Well, pride goeth before fall and a haughty spirit before destruction, so that's no wonder there. Smug and arrogant, modern men and women thus quickly fall into seduction. Now, I would really have to go almost beyond this and say modern men, particularly in America. Because you're not going to run into this dynamic in, in, in some of these third world countries where people are, have been humbled at least. Unaware of the inner esoteric significance of satanic imagery, so often the victim literally is immersed in wicked thoughts. He becomes nothing less than brain dead, dancing a dancing marionette, uh, a mere puppet on a string, his mind manipulated like the keys and chords of a malevolent, chaotically tuned grand piano. Falsely believing himself to be safe and secure, he scoffs at those who try to warn him of the dangers. He often brands the warner as a conspiracy theorist or a kook. Or worse, well, you know, listen, I, I've been labeled that many times. It doesn't, it doesn't change the fact that when I stand before God, I believe I will be vindicated totally on this. I'm not saying I think I live in sinless perfection either. But um, I really, I, I'm trying to remember any time that anybody's ever come back to me with this information and refuted what I've put forth. Unprotected and vulnerable, yet supremely ignorant of his susceptible condition, the deceived man stands locked in the confusing and diabolical maze of the Illuminati's fiery matrix on the very precipice of utter devastation. Now, another point that was just brought up is that these, these people at the top, these Illuminists at the very, very top of this hierarchy chain, and then those that are under them, they find the pseudo-Christian and other religions, the fact that, that we've all been so easily duped, they find it amusing, hilarious, that we have been such sheep that are so led to the, that are just willingly going to the slaughter, and really not wanting to, you know, put up a fight or do anything to, to really go against this. I'm talking for the most part. I'm not talking every single person on the planet. But for the most part, that's what you run into. Um, philosopher David Hume, in the classic Natural History of Religion, wrote, We are placed in this world as in a great theater, when the sources and the causes of every event are entirely concealed from us. Nor have we either sufficient wisdom to foresee or the power to prevent those ills 
with which we are continually threatened. We hang in a perpetual suspense between life and death. Now, I beg to differ because I don't believe that that, um, uh, that we don't have the sufficient wisdom to foresee or the power to prevent those ills which are, which are continually threatened. Now, granted, you're not going to change what the Bible says in regard to the book of Revelation and the way things are going to be, but I do believe 100%. I don't believe, I know, that there's power in prayer to stop these things, to, to stop the wicked devices of the devil. So I'm not going to just lay down and... In, 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 and see, that, that's a big problem with many Christians is that they don't believe, even if they know this is going on, they don't believe they, they have any power, recourse to do anything to alter any of this. And that it's just going to go down. There's nothing they can do. Well, that's a total lack of faith. And the Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. What is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. By it, the elders obtained a good report. Hebrews 11, verse 1 and 2, I believe. So, faith is something you have to have to please God. Faith is how you get saved. If you don't have faith in God that He can protect you from the things coming, how are you even saved? I mean, you're telling me you don't have faith to believe that God can protect you from things to come? And you could say, well, no, I believe that, but yet you're not living your life that way. Your actions speak louder than words. You're not living your life that way. And if you're not living your life that way, how did, did you ever really get saved? Did you really have that faith to believe that, that if God can't... If you don't believe God can protect you from what's coming... And I'm not saying that, that, that we might not have to suffer, because the Bible says, if we suffer with Him, we shall also reign with Him, speaking of Jesus. And the Bible also says, all they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution... But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. That's 2 Timothy 3, 12 and 13. So the Bible says that. Okay, so I'm not saying that, that, that we're not that we're not appointed to suffer for Christ. But I'm talking about believing that He can protect you, even through suffering. If you don't believe that, how are you actually trusting in Him for your, for your eternal salvation from a devil's hell and then the lake of fire? Because... Really, if you think about it, the other is, is much more of a bigger deal than the other. Salvation is much more of a bigger deal than God just protecting you on this earth for a little while. If you think about it, salvation is eternal. This is just temporal. This is, this is a small time period. So again, it's kind of, a, it's kind of like a Christian self-check. Um, so it says that um, Big Brother government, of course... Soothingly assures us we are well protected from harm. We are told in ominous tones that frightening, cruel, and deadly terrorists are ever lurking about, ready to pounce on us and kill us. But thanks to Big Brother and his ministry of love, the multitudes are led to believe they will not fall prey to the heinous plots and the schemes of the Islamo-fascists. Yes, God bless Big Brother. Now, I'm not saying that, that, that these Muslims... Um, aren't totally insane and out of their minds. But see, that's the way the Quran teaches them to be. Now, if you have a Muslim that's not strapping on a, uh, a backpack bomb and, and running into a, uh, a synagogue and blowing himself up, well, you've got yourself a bad Muslim. Well, how could you say that? Because their Quran says to slay the infidel. It says to, um, to make... Um, What's that term they use? To make, uh, 
the, the holy war. Um, to make jihad. That's what the Quran says. It says to slay the infidel. What is an infidel? Anybody who's not a Muslim. We are, you are supposed to forcibly convert them. Now, if you don't have Muslims doing that, then they're not being fundamental to their faith. They're lukewarm Muslims. Okay? So, that is their agenda. I'm sorry. You know? Um, but there's just very few that are willing to do that. But don't you understand that the Illuminus, Big Brother, the Neocons, whatever you want to call them, are, are, are jockeying and using these the Islamic people for their benefit. They're, they're using them primarily to take away our rights via 9-11 was, this, was really the jumping off point for that. Can't you... Can't you see all the things they've, they've, they've went... What, what do you want to say? We supported Al-Qaeda and Taliban. Yeah, well, we, we, we've, we've funded Al-Qaeda and Taliban for a long time. We were the one that trained Osama bin Laden. I mean, it, if you doubt that, please, just just get Alex Jones' videos after 9-11. He has documented everything to the nth degree, okay, in regard to our ties with Osama bin Laden. That is such a joke. It, it's to me, it's 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 hardly even debatable. Uh, but you know, I'll be labeled on that one too. Well, you know something, label me all you want. I really don't care. My life's not a popularity contest, and I'm not here to please man. Primarily, what our goal as Christians should be is to be, is to be able to stand before God and hear, "Well done, thou good and faithful servant." Do I think I've attained or achieved everything that? I, no, I don't. But. Um, the Bible says the fear of man bringeth a snare. Whereas the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, it's the beginning of knowledge, it's the beginning of understanding. The angel of the Lord encampeth around about them that fear him. So, the, the Bible also says God will have mercy on them that fear him. So, I pray for the fear of God in my life so that I don't have the fear of man operating. Because the fear of man... Would, would would cause me to, to to basically sit here and tell you everything's okay, it's not that bad, you're a wonderful person, everything's good. Yes, President Bush is, is a good person. You know, it's it's he's born again, he really is. Yes, let's have our let's have our, our, our prophetic vomit programs of um, of uh, you know secular praise and worship and let's have the drums in the church and no, we don't really need to use that King James Bible. No, let, let, let's use our new versions. Maybe the American Standard. Hey, well, let's just go really good. Let's use the New World Translation. We need to be more like the Jehovah Witnesses. You know something? I really do want to take that 501c3 staff because I want you to be able to write that off on your bogus puke taxes of the, for the IRS because they're just a, 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 a private debt collection arm of the International Monetary Fund. And that is biblical to have the government ruling over your church, you know. I mean, it is biblical for them to be able to actually dictate to you what you can preach and what you can't preach. You know, it's okay that really essentially that the whole Bible, according to the Internal Revenue Service and their guidelines, is really should be outlawed as hate speech. Because if you're a 501c3 corporation, basically you have to abide by their rules because you're under them. You know, it's okay to um, have... Is your CEO the pastor and your board of directors is your deacons? 
and, and actually organize your church as a corporation because that's what all 501c3 entities are. Oh, no, 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 we're unregistered. We're not like that. Sorry, that doesn't, that doesn't um, fly either. Get Dr. Greg Dixon's book, The Trail of Blood Revisited, and he'll, he'll show you exactly how that's not an excuse out either. It's very, 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 very extremely hard to actually really have a true biblical church in America that is biblical in God's eyes. And, it's, and it goes further than just saying you, you're unregistered. Because, um, or unincorporated, I should say. It's way more than that, because you're still playing by their rules. You may not, you may not think so, but you are. Get his book, and if, if you doubt, if you doubt what I'm saying, please read his book. Dr. Greg Dixon, Trail of Blood Revisited. Uh, I believe you can get it, at, uh, you can get it through Tex Mars, his website, and or through unregisteredbaptistfellowship.com. UnregisteredBaptistFellowship.com. So in any way, a lot of what I say is tongue-in-cheek and sarcastic, and I'm sorry, but I don't know. I don't know how I can better get the point across than being that way. Sometimes it's very hard for me to almost be civil when I present this information because the church needs to be rebuked, and you don't many times rebuke somebody in a civil way. The Bible said, speaking of the Cretans, it said they were always slow bellies and liars. And it said, rebuke them sharply that they may be found sound in the faith. Well, that's what I'm doing. I'm rebuking the church sharply. Why? That you may be sound in the faith. Do you know how much leaven is permeated into the lump? Because of all of the sin that I just mentioned, and I was only touching on the major points, in the church, all the sin has been leavened in the church. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and in many other places, it says a little leaven, leaven is always a type of sin, leavens the whole lump. In that regard, they were just talking about one person that had taken his father's wife for, for his wife. And it says, purge out this one, that ye may be made a new lump that the whole lump be not leavened. In other words, you allow one person in the church that's, that's in overt sin, and that leaven that he's going to bring in the door, that, that spiritual demonic baggage that he's bringing in the door, is going to leaven and affect your whole congregation. It will do that. The, what, what is the remedy for that person? Well, the Bible says, turn such in one over... It says that when you're gathered together, the church... Turn such an one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the soul may be saved in the day of the Lord. Well, how many churches are doing that? Turning such an one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Oh, that's not nice. I don't care. It's in the Bible. It's in the New Testament. I've never, ever heard a, a, a sermon preached on that. I don't think ever. Turning such an one over to Satan. It needs to be done. Do you know if that were really being routinely done? Because the problem is, is if they started doing that, they'd have to start the pastor. And 99.9% of the churches, even if the pastor's not living in gross overt sin, what is he let in the church? Now you can see why I don't attend a church. Because from my perspective, they've all been leavened. They've all sold out, for the most part. 99.999% have all sold out. And they need to be rebuked sharply. Better to be rebuked sharply in this life that stand before God ashamed, which is going to be the case with 99.99% of them, unless they repent. 
Oh, well, you think you're just better than everybody. No, I don't. I know what I deserve. You know what I deserve? I deserve hell. That's what I deserve. So let me just dispel that rumor right now. I deserve hell. That's what I truly believe I deserve. Okay? But, praise be to God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, in His shed blood, I am saved because I have freely received the gift of God. That is, that is present through the death, burial, and res resurrection, through the Lord Jesus Christ, through His shed blood, who now ever sits at the right th on the right side of God Almighty, ever making intercession for the saints, who I can come boldly before the throne of grace to make my requests known. The Bible says that we are sons of God, seated with Christ in heavenly places, joint heirs with Christ. So, that's pretty much how I see much of what's going on in the church. I, personally, I just, I don't even want this to be my opinion. It's just was so obvious. This is so obvious of what's going on in the church. I'm not trying to be harsh and, 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 and cruel, but it needs to be said. It has to be said. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Galatians 4.16 are we not supposed to do what Ezekiel 3 and Ezekiel 33 says when, the, when they say in, in these passages that if the watchman see the sword coming on the city and warn not the people, that their blood will be required at the watchman's hands. I don't want to see blood required at my hands. I believe there will be blood required at my hands. I do. I do. For people that I haven't warned that are now in, in hell. One in particular I, I can remember in particular. Do I deserve that? Yes, I do. I sure do. I deserve whatever I get. Now, does that mean I'm not going to ask for God's mercy? Oh, you better. I. But how do you obtain God's mercy? Well, the Bible says that the Lord pitieth and will have mercy upon them that fear Him. Fear Him. Do you pray for the fear of God in your life? Well, no, that's not something fun to pray for. I don't care if it's something fun to pray for. When you really pray for the fear of God in your life, that will draw you, and, and you, and God takes you through the, the valley where you really experience His fear. That will draw you closer to God than any other thing that will ever happen to you as a Christian. I've been there, I know. At least that was what happened to me. So, it's not a bad thing, it's a very, very, very good thing. In fact, there's more blessings connected with the fear of the Lord than any other attribute that I can find in the Bible. So, um, Tex Mars goes on to sarcastically say, Yes, God bless Big Brother. He loves you and wants only the best for you and your family. Only he and his minions have sufficient wisdom to foresee and the power to prevent the great ills that would otherwise befall and overpower us. Calmed by Big Brother's love, enchanted and enthralled by the siren's call of his caring bureaucracies, most of us simply lay back and placidly take it. Tranquilized and mute, our situation becomes then like an odious yet strangely otherworldly manifestation of the silence of the lambs. President George W. Bush is playing the role of Hannibal Lecter. Obviously criminal and corrupt in behavior, the president nevertheless is viewed by the deceived electorate somewhat perversely as their benevolent savior and protector. The unknowing masses are so are also very appreciative of his love and consideration for their personal welfare. 
A cannibal at heart, Mr. Bush loves the people so much that if he could, he would eat them alive. I like this. I really do. I totally agree. Oh, how can you say that and call yourself a Christian? Because I love the truth. Do you love the truth? That's the truth. You think President Bush is a great guy? Go go up to cuttingedge.org, scan down on the left-hand side, and click on the, the fruits of President Bush. Click on that article. And you tell me that this isn't truth, that this man's speaking. It's not just him, it's a lot of people. There's another website you can go to. It's called bushrevealed.com. Bushrevealed.com. Go to that one. All it is is documentation. They're not making this stuff up. It's documentation, day, time, source, the whole nine yards, all referenced. Well, that's their opinion. No, it's not. It's documented. It's objective. See, objective, there's, there's two different things. There's subjective and there's objective. Objective are facts. Okay? Documented, verifiable facts. Subjective are your opinion. Now, everybody's got an opinion. Okay? Opinions, most of the time, stem from the heart. And the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17.9. Proverbs 28.26. He who trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Proverbs 14.12 and Proverbs 16.25 says, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There's your heart for you. Okay? So, don't trust in your heart. Your heart will deceive you and it will fail you. Some of you, a few, and this is text Mars, some of you, a few of you, dear readers, are not, however, so easily guiled. You are sober, awake, vigilant. You are not calm. You are not soothed. You are blessed with perception and discernment. You are aware. You know. You who truly know are unlike the deceived masses, the useless eaters, who simply take up a stall space like farm animals, bleeding sheep, readied for the slaughter. Maybe at one time in a distant past you too were not aware, but one day you suddenly woke up and you exclaimed, Oh, I see. Oh, my. So that's it. After that incredible initial discovery, one's life can never be the same. Now you know. And then he goes on to talk about Codex Magica. Um, yeah, if, if, if you want to see a whole lot more proof of this, order Codex Magica www.texmars.com T-E-X-E T-E-X-E Mars M-A-R-R-S dot com Go up there and get the book. Don't take my word for it. Don't take anything that I'm saying my word for it. Seek it out for yourself. Most people won't do that. Why? Because they've judged the matter before they hear it. Proverbs 18.13 says, Whoso judgeth the matter before he heareth it, it is a folly and a shame unto him. Most people will judge them. Oh, you're a kook. You're nuts. You're, you're hateful. Whatever. No, I love you enough to tell you the truth. Most of the, most of the hirelings, no, really all of the hirelings, if they really loved you in Christian brotherly love, why aren't they telling you the truth? Why aren't they? Well, they don't know. They're, so they're willingly ignorant? Now, let me tell you something. I've been saved since like 90, the start of 94. I believe I got saved in like January or February. Reading a book, En Route to Global Occupation, by Gary Kahn. It was in my bedroom. 
said the salvation prayer, I got saved. I know I did. Chastening of God was on me right away. And the Bible says, Whom the Lord loveth, he also chasteneth. And if you be without chastisement, then you're bastards. Oh, I know what the chastening of God was. I didn't understand it back then, but I do now. That's just one of the evidences of salvation, I believe. Just one. There's also the fruit of the Spirit, and then there's a lot of other things you can look at too. But you know, I, I've, I've, I've learned all this knowledge in a, um, in a time period of about 12 years. What excuse do they have when you have a pastor that was basically born, brought up in a, in a uh, Christian household, maybe, maybe one that's, that's been exposed to this for 60, 50 years. I've had 12 years. I'm not saying I'm better than anybody else, but if you really are seeking truth, God will open the doors and show you. He, if you go to your father and you ask for a, for a loaf of bread, is he going to give you a stone or a snake, as Jesus said? If you go to your father, but, but then there's another side of that. It says, it says you have not because you ask not. Okay, But then he also, it goes on, the Bible goes on to say, you have not because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your own lusts. That's the big problem most of the time. You're wanting something, number one, you're asking something that you want and that you want to hear. You're not necessarily asking for what God wants to show you. You're asking for what you want to hear. You have not because you ask not. Well, there's a whole lot of reasons people aren't getting their prayers answered. The primary one is uh, Psalm 66, verse 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Well, if 99.9% of all churches are in apostasy, which I believe they are, I, I think it's easy to bear that thing out, then how could you not be walking with iniquity in your heart? Because the very church you're attending is teaching you falsely. Or they're sure, at minimum, not teaching you the full counsel of God. It's not so much what they're saying, it's what they're not saying. Are you hearing any of what I'm preaching about? Or oh, does that mean everything that you say is the only thing that we, that we need to know? No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that I can't turn on the radio sometimes and hear a good sermon. But it's the other things that they're never, ever talking about. Are they ever bringing up the, 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 uh, uh, the issues of the King James Bible, the true Word of God? Are they ever bringing up the 501c3 issues? Are, are, they, are they ever bringing up the, 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 uh, the uh, dress standards, the way that you should dress or look or act? Are they ever bringing up the, the fact that you should avoid all appearance of evil? That you should set no wicked thing before your eyes? Um, are they bringing these things up? Are they bringing up the things that require sacrifice in your life? No. Or if they are, they're bringing it up to a very lukewarm extent. I've been there. I've been there. I've been in several, several churches. I, in fact, God's allowed me to see the gamut of what goes on in almost all of modern day Christianity. Starting with going to Lutheran Middle School, Catholic High School, Assembly of God, radical charismatic Pentecostalism, Independent, fundamental, King James-only Baptist church. I've really seen the, the opposite ends of the spectrum. Presbyterian churches, uh, you know, the whole nine yards. And I don't see any of what I'm, I'm, I'm getting into today being presented in these places. Not, not, not to near the extent it needs to be. So what's the fruit of all this? 
Well, let's let's look at this. Got this this week from a uh, guy named Eric Barger. He has a, a ministry where he ministers to people, uh, particularly in in regard to occult issues. And this this newsletter is titled "Kids in the Occult: The Shock in Reality." This is a Barner Research Group releases a survey. Um, con- uh, where they surveyed 4,000 teens across America. Now, this is Barna. They're, they're like a reputable research company. And they found in their study that 73% of all teenagers in America, and this is out of 4,000, so this is a fair cross-section. I mean, 4,000? That's pretty good. As far as being an accurate representation. The, the report is not good, but the, I believe it's valid. Of the 4,000 teens surveyed across the United States, so this, was, this wasn't just in one place in the United States, this was across the United States, 73% of all teens have engaged in occult activity beyond mere media exposure and horoscope usage. 73%. So 73% of all kids, now a lot of them probably don't even, it's probably more like 99%, because we're immersed in it with just watching some of the cartoons that are on TV, you're, you're exposing yourself to this stuff. 27% believe horoscopes are always true. 35% have used a Ouija board. Now, that right there totally opens you up to demonic possession. Totally. Use the Ouija board one time. You want to get demon possessed with the toenails like the short way, the real quick way? Use the Ouija board one time. It's well known in the occult. People, that, There's many people in the occult that don't even think about using a Ouija board because they know what it opens themselves up to and they know they're going to get lied to by the, by the devil's spirits. So anyway, um, yeah, the Ouija board uh, is one nasty implement for the pit of hell. It says 35% have read occult books... <clears throat> 26% of played games based on occult or sorcery. 10% have participated in a seance. 7 have attempted casting spells, hexes, or attempted mixing a magic potion. 30% have had their palm read. Now these are all witchcraft practices here that, you know, they're opening themselves up to. 27% have had their fortune told. 14 have witnessed psychic powers being used. 9% have visited a witch or consulted a psychic. Uh, the Barner Research Survey confirmed disturbing truths found in the 2001 American Religious Identification Survey, known as the ARIS data, indicated that between 1991 and 2001, the number of people identifying themselves as Christians in America dropped from 86.2% to 765 during the same period, those claiming to be Wiccans, or, or which would be considered, I guess, white witchcraft, rose, now this is from 91 to 2001, that 10-year period, those that were claiming to be Wiccans rose by 1,675%. Now that's an explosion. For years I've been remarking at my seminars and in private conversations that the church is at least partially responsible for the fact that teens are seeking out satanic, occult, new age spiritual options. This is due to the lack of personal commitment to godly values and the breakdown of, of a lifestyle role modeling by Christians throughout our churches. The shift towards occult and spirituality has no doubt been aided by the fact that many teens are growing up in a home, church atmospheres, which to a varying extent void of reality, anointing, spiritual presence, and the power of God. 
following comments which summarize the findings of the Barna research team directly address the root of the problem. The research revealed that many churches fail to address the subject of supernatural with sufficient frequency or relevance. Only 28% of church teenagers recall receiving any teaching at the church in the last year that helped them to shape their views on the supernatural world. This is exactly why I have this Bible study. Because it's not getting done. It's just not. To me, it's, it's, the, it's the thing that, that really needs to be emphasized because we know that this is going to be, the, that the devil is going to come with all lying signs and wonders. And if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. And the Bible also says in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, no, no, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, regarding, it says that there will be a falling away and then that wicked one will be revealed. This falling away or this apostasy of the church and then the wicked one will be revealed. We know this is going to happen. We know evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. We know this is going to happen. And then, the, and then the Bible says that the, that the mystery of iniquity is going to be working in this time. The mystery of iniquity. And this most likely is a lot of, of, of this witchcraft, this, this supernatural deception that is going on right now. The Bible predicts it's going to happen. It shouldn't be something that we get upset and just say, oh, we want to throw in the towel. Oh, I just want to die. I just want to die and go home to glory. That's not biblical, I'm sorry. It's not biblical. You're in a fight, and the Bible says we're, we're called to be good soldiers. Is a good soldier called to say, oh, I just want to die. I don't want to deal with any of this. I just want God to deal with it. Sorry. Sorry, you better you, you, you better put your chin strap on and get ready. As though the worst is going to happen to you. Oh, well that's not nice, that's not positive. I don't care. Hope for the best, prepare for the worst. I think that's what we should all do. Do I want the worst to happen to me? Worst case scenario, unbelievable torture for, you know, days, months, maybe years on end. And then accumulating in maybe a death by fire. Do I want that for myself? Obviously, no. But, if there's something that is going to cause us to give up on God, most likely that's what God is going to put in your path. Because He's going to test us. I believe, not to say He hasn't tested you before, or tested me, I know I've been tested, but does that mean I've passed every test? Usually when you go to school, there's more than one test you have to take. Well, is this maybe having to do with the trial of our faith? Is this having maybe to do with gold tried in the fire, like it talks about in Revelation 3? I counsel of thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. And I saw that thou can see. Speaking to the Laodicean church, Jesus said that. We're in the Laodicean church age, which I believe began in 1881 when that first false Bible version came out and a whole bunch of cults started popping up everywhere like the Mormons and the Jehovah Witnesses and a lot of these false denominations. Hmm. I think it's important to see. Hmm. Counsel me to buy gold tried in the fire. What is that? That's the trial of our faith. Well... That doesn't sound real pleasant. Well, I'm sorry. But, you know something? The more you have this down and purposed in your heart, there's a potential that the less 
that God will have to do to get you right with God. I mean, do you, would you rather go kicking and screaming? Or would, it, or would you just rather already have this knowledge and be ready for the battle and God be able to use you as a soldier? Or would you rather be just like a kicking and screaming baby in the nursery that does nothing for God? You have that choice. What we've got today in modern day Christianity, if they are saved, most of them are like a bunch of babies in a nursery. How could you send a baby to war? Or a child? Is he going to get a lot accomplished in war? I don't think so. Well, then what does that also tell us? That means there's very, very few warriors that are ready to go to battle. So, then he goes on to say, wow, what a shame on us. This is in regard to the church. But more importantly, what action are we going to take? Will we fast, pray, and declare war on the enemy? Or will we, or will we refuse to rock the boat and just go with the flow? Will youth pastors continue using game playing, pizza parties, ski trips as the main staples in order to keep the crowd? And in so doing, silently proclaim that activities alone constitute having church. Or will they be the kind of bold, godly zealots that Paul and Peter would have appointed? Will our leaders be content to keep, to keep downplaying the tough issues of sin, lifestyles and doctrine, as well as uncompromised preaching the gospel, just to keep filling the seats with people whose ears long to be tickled? Throughout the church today, many of our youth are spiritually starving. Spiritually starving. Um, let's see. Why do you suppose they appear to be flocking to the occult? Surely this rise of the demonic is also described in the Bible. And in the most prophetic writing concerning the end days, the Apostle Paul warns in 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 3, and this is what I just read earlier, but this is the exact quote, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come. Now what day are they in reference to? The gathering of the, of the saints. That's what the Bible says before this. Except there come a falling away first, and the man of sin be revealed. So it's a falling away of the church, the apostasy, first, and, and, and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Well, many say, oh no, it's the falling away, and that's it. No, it says and. It doesn't say then, it says and. That's why it's so important that you have the right Bible. Because one word changed in the word of God can mess everything up. And the man, it's something, in other words, it's conjunctive. They're going to happen in conjunction with one another. Well now, yes, we know the, 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 the falling away of the church is in full swing, true. And the man of sin has not been revealed yet, but it's still falling away. So this and the man of sin being revealed is going to, could happen any time. Most likely it's going to happen through the, through the World War III. When Israel goes to war with, most likely the Middle East, and I believe will be their ally. The son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showeth himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And know ye now, and, and now ye know that withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity 
doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall the wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. We'd, we'd mention that too. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Hmm. Deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Well, most of the modern day pseudo-church is deceived. And therefore, they're living in unrighteousness. How can you be deceived in being righteous? Now, granted, I'm not saying that you couldn't be duped about giving points and still be righteous before God, being destroyed for lack of knowledge. But I'm talking about they're willingly ignorant, for the most part, of the church. They're, they're not seeking these things out like they should be. Um, so, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth. That's the main crux upon which this all hinges, if you notice. Where does the rubber meet the road? Why did all of this happen? Because they received not the love of the truth. That they might be saved? Whoa, does that mean that, that maybe truth has an implication to salvation? Well, the main truth we could ever believe is that you're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2.11 I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. John 14, 6. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. John three sixteen. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans six twenty three. Okay, so these are the, the, the these are the main truths to to embrace and behold. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. These are the main truths. That's Romans uh, ten nine and ten. So these are the main truths we need to believe. Okay, true. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. The, that's the most important truth to believe. But. The love of the truth goes beyond that. The love of the truth is the love of the truth. It's the love of all truth. Okay? So, what about, well, yeah, I got saved, I said that prayer, but I don't want to get into any of this, this slaughterhouse religion stuff you're talking about. Talking about the blood of Jesus Christ and, and how we're all so deceived. You're not operating in love, Brother Johnson. You're not operating in love. Oh, oh, is that so? Would it would it be more loving of me to lie to you? Like like most likely the majority of the pastors in this country are doing to their congregations? Well, that's the way they were taught. I don't care. So the cemetery ru ruined them. I mean the seminary. It ruined them. I'm sorry. I, I, it's really hard for me to have pity on them. Because here I am. I've only been saved for 12 years. And it's so obvious to me couldn't they have sought this out in their many, many years of being in the ministry, of maybe even being brought up in a Christian household? I never had that advantage. I was brought up in, in a secular, a worldly of a household as you could possibly be brought up in. I didn't have that advantage. I, I kind of wonder if it's an advantage anymore. I don't see very many, many, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I just don't. 
I'm afraid what, what's happening is there is these kids are being indoctrinated into false religion. And then they're being shipped off into cemeteries to get more false religion. Sorry, that's that's the way I, I mean if things if things were different than what I said, why are we in the state that we're in? Wouldn't the pastors be making a difference? I don't see it happening. I don't see them making a difference. I see them making it worse. For the most part. I'm not saying every single one, because there are some that are still standing up for the truth. It's few and far spread. So please, if you're listening to this and I'm angering you, I'm not condemning every single pastor on the face of the planet. But it's it's basically every day is a big Christian self-check. And and what is the self-check? It's not Scott Johnson. It is the Word of God. It's compared to a mirror. A mirror. And most of the time, when we look into that mirror of the Word of God, we don't like what we see. Me included. (laughs) I'll start with me. So, somebody can't come back to me and say, oh, well, you're just some sanctimonious, holier-than-thou, condescending, bombastic, self-righteous, zealous, idiot, that thinks you're better than everybody. Start with me. I blame myself. Okay, I, I, I mean, I know what I deserve. I do. But, that doesn't condone anyone else to live in sin. And I'm not saying, I'm sitting here living in overt sin. I just know I fall short of perfection. And we should strive for perfection. Will that perfection ever be attainable on this earth? No, we're going to battle the flesh till the day we die. I just know, and the Bible says to consider the pit from whence thou wast dug. Consider the pit. We're supposed to remember where we came from. The problem is, is when we forget that pit from whence we were dug, and we start thinking we're pretty good. We measure up pretty well. Well, I'm not like that. Oh, don't even go there. Don't even go there, because when you start doing that, that's pride. And pride goeth before fall, and a haughty spirit before destruction. When you start comparing yourself to other human beings in regard to your how you measure up to God, you have just failed. You need to compare yourself compared on the Word of God. That's it. The Word of God is your standard, not another person. The Bible says, in Jeremiah 17, 5, it says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man. If a man is your standard, the Bible says, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and that maketh flesh his arm, whose heart departeth from the Lord. So the natural byproduct of all that is is your heart departing from the Lord. Now, literally, you could be wanting to emulate the godly characteristics of a godly man in your life. That's few and far spread anymore. Okay? But still, don't trust in that man. He's not your salvation. And you know what will happen when you do that? You're not going to get offended near as easy. Because you're not going to put your trust... You know how many people have fallen away from the church because they put their trust in a pastor and the pastor slept around or, or, or got caught doing this or that 
and then it caused them to fall away from the faith. Now, granted, we're not supposed to do that because that's putting a stumbling block before your brother. Okay? That we're forbidden to do that. We're not supposed to, to do anything that offends before the brother of the weaker faith in particular. We're not supposed to do that. But we're also not supposed to put our trust in that person to the point where it causes us to fall away from the faith because they messed up. It doesn't, I mean, it matters to me about certain people that I view as Christians around me. But if they fall away, it's not going to change me. And you need to purpose it in your heart that no matter what happens around you, it's not going to cause you to fall away. Because if there is something that's going to cause you to fall away, don't be surprised if that's what you get tested with because God knows your heart. Um, so, these are the things that... Uh, then, it, then it goes on to end in this verse. It says, For God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Well, that strong delusion is, is in the process of being sent. That they should believe a lie. God's, sending, God's allowing the strong delusion to come. He's in, and one of the reasons is He's separating the wheat from the chaff. He's separating the sheep from the goats. He would rather know where you stand. That's why He says He'll vomit the lukewarm out of His mouth because He can't stand it. He wants you one way or another. He wants you either hot or cold. God shall send them strong delusion. Is this, is this having anything to do with if, if it were possible even the very elect will be deceived? Hmm. That they should believe a lie. That they might all be damned. Well, this says they're going to hell. Who believed not the truth. Well, I believe in the truth of the Bible and the salvation thing. I said that prayer. What, what evidence of, is a, in your life is that the Holy Spirit's living inside you? Through the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, goodness, faith, temperance. Well, you're not being loving... Sorry. Again, is it better for me to lie to you and tell you what you want to hear? Am I not supposed to... Is there not a time to rebuke sharply? Well, um, the Bible says there is. Well, you're, you're, you're not doing right. You're, you're naming names and things like this. Well, so did Paul. He said, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. He said, Demas has forsaken me for this present world. Hmm. He named names. The Bible says in Romans 16, verse 17 and 18, Now I beseech ye therefore, brethren, mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Well, we're supposed to do that. None of that's really fun or nice. Was Jesus nice when he was rebuking the Pharisees and the Sadducees, calling them vipers and serpents? Was Jesus nice when he went into the uh, temple and overchanged the money changers' tables? You turn the house of God into a den of iniquity? Well, that wasn't nice. Then he called the Pharisees and Sadducees white and sepulchers full of dead man's bones? Oh, that wasn't nice. That wasn't loving. Did he love them enough to tell them the truth? 
So hopefully I've dispelled that argument. As I, and then he goes on in this to says, as, as I, uh, well, let's just read home the, the end of that. Is that they might all be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. See, these, these pseudo-Christians, they have pleasure in this. They have ple- and it's so, much, it's so much easier because there's so many more of them than me for them to point the finger at somebody like me and say, oh, he's this divisive whatever. Point, point away. Point away. You have pleasure in unrighteousness. The Bible says you do. So, he goes on to talk about this, this mystery of iniquity. And that how that, that um, has to do with this occult explosion, this mystery of iniquity that's working right now, that was predicted to be working. Um, iniquity, evidently in Strong's, means contempt or violation of God's spiritual law. Paul is clearly expressing that during that period just preceding the Antichrist rule, there will be a blunt rejection of truth and a rise of the occult, which is according to to Deuteronomy 18.12.9-12 as one of the worst abominations before the Lord. The Bible says that in the Old Testament, thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. That's the exact quote. Now, I'm not saying get the old port pitchforks out and go kill witches. Okay, but that's what the punishment was in the Old Testament. So do you think that God condones it now? Well, the Bible says, I am God, I changeth not. Okay, so still don't like it. Granted, we're not supposed to go out and kill them like if we were living under Old Testament Levitical law. Though this rise of evil in the last days is indeed prophesied, those who have ears to hear will hear and will shine the light of truth on both the occult activity and the anemic condition which parallels it, which now pervades throughout the church. That's what we're doing today. We're shining the light of truth on both the occult activity and the anemic state of the church. Well, that's all you talk about every week, basically. It's the main need I see. It's what comes up over and over and over and put in my face over and over and over again. I should note that a similar abandonment of truth was a byproduct of liberalism encroachment into the once sound mainline denominations decades ago. Well, I would beg to argue the point. If they were a mainline denomination that was incorporated, I'm sorry, the, set, the stage was already set. What By them doing what they're doing, being in a mainline denomination, I don't personally think that's super biblical. Because all those mainline denominations have, have churches above them, other than the independent fundamental Baptist movement, all of the other mainline denominations have to answer to churches above them. How's that biblical? Where's that? Where, where, where have we first seen that? Oh, could it be the Catholic Church? Oh, the Pope, the, the Vicar of Christ. What does Vicar mean? Substitute. Oh, so he's our substitute Christ here on earth. Oh, and everything that he says is ex cathedra. What does that mean? Well, that means he's infallible. Nothing that he says can be... Oh, is that a, is that a fact? Right. Well, he's just a stink, stinking devil deceiving millions, going to hell in a handbasket. He's going to take as many people as he can with him. Ratzinger, or whoever his name is, Pope John Paul, what a great humanity, man of God. No, he led millions of people to hell. His, Their blood is on his hands. 
there's much special places reserved in hell for people like Pope John Paul II or Mary, Mother Teresa or whatever her name was. The woman was demon-possessed. They had to perform exorcisms on her before she died. Tried to. She had all kind of spirits manifesting from her. Oh, she was this one. I don't care how she appeared. What was her fruit? Was she leading people to Christ or away from Christ? Her whole life away. But she did all these good things. I don't care. The devil can come as an angel of light. And that's how he chooses to come. Because he gets a lot more work done that way. You think if he appeared with, with, with a pitchfork, two horns, and a pointed tail, that he'd get a whole lot done? He only reveals himself in that way to the highest, highest, highest echelons of the occult. And at that point, they're so far in they can't get out. It's like the mafia times ten. Now this, I know, I realize this is a very lighthearted message that I'm going over this morning. Somewhat whimsical, fun-filled, footloose and fancy-free. Sorry, I have to interject sarcasm now and then. Um, but, I believe I'm speaking the truth. I can hardly wait to get some of the heated, scathing email pseudo-rebuttals of many of these sermons that I'm going to be putting up online. No, I, I, I know I know that, that this may ultimately end up being my downfall, or what, I, you know, from, from, from a worldly standpoint, but if I stand before God unashamed, that's all that really matters. And that I may be hated of all men, but the Bible says, blessed are ye when you are hated of all men, for Christ's sake. Bible says, "Blessed are you when, you shall, when Jesus said, "Blessed are you when you shall suffer persecution, and all men shall revile and hate you for my sake. For great is your reward in heaven." Well, but suffer not as for unrighteousness. So we don't want to suffer because we we deserve it because we're being unrighteous. But you know, it's not going to change me. Really, all it does is steal my resolve further. So. Um, then he goes on to say, Then now and from the beginning of one's, one of Satan's primary tools has been to plant seeds of doubt which attack God's word. <laughs> exactly. That's where this all starts. What should distress us today is that the evil disregard for God's word, often veiled like a Trojan horse, is now in full swing inside of evangelical cir circles. Well, just evidence all of the hundreds of difference of different Bible translations that are actually available. There is hope. There is and will be until Christ's return a holy, obedient, vocal, evangelistic remnant. Praise God, our task is clear. Help prepare the next generation to be powerful servants of the Most High God. Amen. Whose, our kids desperately need to be instructed, prepared, equipped, prayed for, and warned through the whole counsel of God's Word. See, my little girl hears this all the time. Because I live this seven days a week. I don't just talk at one time an, an hour and then go live like the devil. You know? Ask her. <laughs> so, does that mean I'm, I'm perfect? That I walk around with a halo, an Egyptian sun disc on? Well, actually I do. I didn't want to say anything. He gets his Egyptian costume. Yeah, I, I get... Friday, and then he wears his alien costume on Monday. Yeah. And goes, and goes to the pastor and says, Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I have my, my Egyptian sun disc that I wear, and my angel wings and stuff like that, and on Tuesdays. I only wear the angel wings on Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. Those are his business officials. 
I, I walk around the house with a harp on. No, or, or playing a harp. Uh, no, I. In all seriousness, it it, it um. You, you need to live this seven days a week. He goes on to say, the truth is that our teens are looking for us to set the bar. God help us that we give them something to shoot for. Forget the pop psychology with a Bible verse attached, the self-esteem teaching, being a purpose-driven or merely religious. Start praying for revival and stop worrying about how the world or the unsaved churches perceive us. Amen. Bring back the presence of God to our churches and watch Satan lure our kids deeper or watch Satan lure our kids deeper into his camp. This is by uh, William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. He said, quote, A man on fire disturbs the world. A building on fire attracts the world. A community on fire changes the world. I consider that the chief dangers which confront the con coming century will be a religion without the Holy Ghost. He's right. Christianity without Christ. Forgiveness without repentance. Salvation without regeneration. Politics without God. And heaven without hell. Whew, I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> what time is it? Okay, well, we're going to continue with um, our study of Romans. We're going to go to chapter 8. And start at verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ, Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Okay, so, it says there's no condemnation. So this would be some, a verse that maybe you have your typical pseudo-Christian quoting, well, there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ, but this is conditional. Okay? Who walk not after the flesh. Well, what if you are walking after the flesh? Then there is condemnation but after the Spirit. So this is conditional. So, so see, so many times, this is how cults are started. They, they take one verse out of context and they don't even read the full verse. Verse 2, The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Okay? The Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Okay, so now, the, uh, much of what you read in the New Testament is always comparing the Old Testament Levitical law, which the authors all just came out of, or are coming out of, to what Christ offers us through the Holy Spirit. And his death, burial, and resurrection. So that's what you're getting here. You're getting this comparison. Um, so see, Christ in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemns sin in the flesh. See, Christ condemns sin through his, through what he did on the cross. He conquered sin. He bore our sin on the cross. So he defeated sin and the devil. That's why we have to go through Christ in order to get saved. Because we, we cannot do it apart from Christ. That the, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. 
who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So you see, again, it's conditional, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. See, it says the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. It's, it's not that the law is not righteous. It's right. Had I not known the law, I had not known sin. Okay? But this is conditional too. Now, if the Holy Spirit's really living inside you, not saying that you're going to live in sinless perfection, but, for the most part, you're not going to walk after the flesh, but after the Spirit. But then again, that's conditional, because, you know, you could, you could be saved, and not be reading your Bible, not praying, not doing a lot of different things, and not really feeding the Holy Spirit that lives inside you. You're, you're not doing anything to strengthen the Holy Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. This is verse 5. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So if we're minding the things of the flesh constantly, we're not minding the things of the Spirit. You, you can't do, you've got to do one or the other, in other words. Um, and if we are carnally mind. Now, what does the word carnally mean? Well, you, you know the word carnival or chili con carne? What does that mean? Chili with meat in it. What does meat mean? Flesh. Carnival. What's a carnival? What's something you go to to feed your flesh? That's why they call it a carnival. Okay? So to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. You can't please God if you're in the flesh. You just can't do it. Um, but ye are not in the flesh flesh, but in the spirit. If so be, the spirit of God dwelleth in you. So see, a natural byproduct of the spirit of God dwelling in you is going to be that you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And it says, if, if, so be the spirit of God dwelleth in you. Are you really saved? Because that's what the predetermining factor there is. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So if you're not, you don't have the spirit of Christ, then you're not God's. You're not his kid. And if, the, if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. So we're three-part beings, body, soul, spirit. Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit, capital S, spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit, is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, see, this is the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's pretty amazing, considering that same Spirit dwells in us as, as born-again Christians. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Uh, quicken means to be made alive again shall quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh, for if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. Now, this is a reference, I believe, to the sin unto death. 
that it talks about in 1 John chapter 5. If you live after the flesh, ye shall die. So if we, as a born-again Christian, if we live after the flesh, which we're not supposed to be, we will die. There's, there's, a, there's a... God can take you out. God can take you out if He wants to. Particularly if you're, you're in uh, sexual sin, repetitively unrepenting, He can take you out. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. So you have to do it through the Holy Spirit. That's how you mortify the deeds of the body. You don't do it because you're so tough and I'm just going to be like a monk or, or deprive myself or whatever. That's false religion. Through the Spirit. Everything's through the Lord. Through faith. Through the Holy Spirit that lives inside us. He's the one that gives us the actual um, power to do these things. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now, I, this is a clarification of being an actual son of God. You have to be led by the Spirit of God to actually be considered in God's eyes son of God. Now, these are not the same sons of God that are mentioned in the Old Testament. Where the Bible says in Job chapter 1 where it says the sons of God came and brought themselves before God the Father essentially and Satan was there. These, those were angelic beings. Every time this, the, the, the phrase the sons of God is mentioned in the Old Testament, it's always in reference to angels. Good angels. Even in even Genesis chapter 5, where it says the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they came down and took them as wives, as so they chose. They were good angels up until that point. That same phrase is again used two or three times in Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1, yeah. Actually, more, more than once in Job. Sons of God. Always used of angels. Always. But in the New Testament, which is a better covenant, which we have some things that have changed, the sons of God, when it's used, is always in reference to born-again Christians that are led by the Spirit. It says right here, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Well, what if you're not led by the Spirit of God? Well, then you're not considered the sons of God. I believe at that point you're considered more of a child of God, more, more of a... Uh, uh, well, it talks about it in, in, the, uh, in, the Bible, in the New Testament. I can't recall exactly where that verse is right off the top of my head. Where it talks about it, you're under tutors and schoolmasters in that, that verse. If you're a child. Your 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 um. You're living off milk, but you have not progressed to strong meat. I believe the the children of God, the ones that are that are little babies and infants, are the ones that are of milk. They're not sons of God. You, you can't really be um, an infant baby and be considered a son of God because at that point you're you're not led of the Spirit. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. But ye have received the spirit of adoption. We are adopted into the family of God. We are the wild olive branch grafted into the um, the vine, the true vine. Okay. Many of the original olive branches were broken off because of their unbelief. It says, 
but we are not to boast against the branches, which were the true Jews that were originally got saved in here. Well, they weren't, they weren't the true Jews because the ones that were broken off that we might be that we might have a chance to get saved were in unbelief but we're not supposed to boast against them the bible is very clear about that we're not supposed to say well look, we're we're the chosen ones now and get into this whole british israelism thing where where we think we're better than the jews or whatever no 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 we all get saved the same way in this dispensation okay period it's always, 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 always been about faith, though, no matter what dispensation you were in. It's always been about faith, no matter what. Um, but ye have received the spirit of adoption. That's why I said, you're adopted. You're his kid now. Now, all of a sudden, you're his kid. Don't be surprised if you were living like the devil before, okay, which, which like in my case, I can see. Now, granted, I wasn't going out there, you know, going on three-state killing sprees or anything. Maybe two-state. No, just kidding. But, I wasn't exactly uh, living for Christ and by any stretch of the imagination. I was in the world. I was brought up that way. All of a sudden, I got saved, and now all of a sudden, I couldn't get away with what I was getting away with before. Why am I so miserable? I kind of lived this way before, and I don't remember being this miserable. Well, you've been adopted you receive the spirit of adoption. I believe that when the Holy Spirit comes inside you, it says spirit here, capital S. Another, does your, does your Bible have that capitalized? The spirit of adoption. When the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside you, you're, this same spirit, you're adopted in to the family of God. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Abba means Daddy. Now, is that humbling yourself before God, Daddy? Father, and just so you know, the Bible says, call no man father, but our father in heaven. So for these priests to go around and say, well, I'm father, this is what a blaspheme. I mean, not to mention everything else they do that's blaspheming the, the, the name of God. They're not to be called father. We're not supposed to call our earthly father, father, dad, dear old dad. You know, whatever you want, but don't say father. Whereby we cry, Abba, father. Well, if you cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father, especially if you're a grown adult, you're humbling yourself before God. Daddy, Father. Well, that's... Uh, that's belittling. Uh, I don't... Sorry, but that's... You need to get to that point. Then it says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit, the capital Spirit, Holy Spirit that lives inside us, beareth witness with our spirit, little s, our spirit, there's two spirits living, occupying the same body, now, that we are the children of God. Now, now there it's in reference to the children of God. This is how we know that we are saved. This is, this is one of the reasons you know that you're saved. Because the Holy Spirit bears witness with your spirit. And if children, then heirs... In other words, an heir is somebody that, that if you're adopted into a family now, then you're heirs to the inheritance of your father. You're an heir to that. Just like on this world, if you were, if you were a child and you were adopted into a family as a baby, and, and that your earthly dad, adopted dad, 
In this case, he's not going to die. But, I mean, when you, when you come into the kingdom of God, when you're saved, that's when I believe you get your inheritance. It's when you die is when you get the inheritance. Not when God dies, because he's not going to die. Okay? So it's kind of an opposite thing there, because normally, most of the time, when you get your inheritance in this earth, it's when, you're, it's when your dad or your mom both die. That's when you get your inheritance. Now, for us, it's going to be the exact opposite. It's when we die. Okay? that we're actually going to get our inheritance. Now, is it going to be wood, hay, and stubble? Or is it going to be gold, silver, precious stones? Are we going to be saved, yet so as by fire? Or are we going to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Because there's... I think it's pretty black and white. Okay, so if... And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, that's, who are, that's where we're getting our inheritance from God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him. Wow! That we might be also glorified together. Well, that's not a popular verse to f- preach. Well, I'm sorry, it's in there. It says if. If. This is say and or. And or so be if we suffer with Him. Mm-mm. Says if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Well, there's another Christian self-check. Have you are, are you suffering in any way, shape, or form for the stance you've taken for Christ? Have you made any enemies? Not to say that that should be your goal. Um, do you feel somewhat ostracized because of the stand you've taken for Christ? Well, here I am. We're in a Bible study today with four people. Fine with me. Praise the Lord. I'd rather have four people that wanted to be here than 500 that were apostate. Any day. Hmm. Has your stance for Christ ostracized you from the church? Or have you chosen to ostracize yourself from the church because you can't stand the stinking stuff that's going on in the church? That's pretty much the case with everybody in this room. I don't know about them listening. Hmm. Has your stance caused you controversy when you were in the church to be not liked? Has your stance caused a problem with your family? Uh, You could go on and on. Has your stance caused you to either embrace the world or not embrace the world and its system? So it says, if we suffer with him, we're joint heirs with Christ, if so be we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. So it's kind of a package deal. Again, joint heirs with Christ is conditional. Now, many times they'll just say, well, you're just saved and you got all these goodies coming to you. They don't talk about the conditional parts. Really, what, they're, what more of these are are self-checks, more than anything. They're just, they're, they're natural byproducts. They're going to happen. For I reckon that the sufferings... Now, that's how you know Paul's a country boy, because he says, I reckon. Sorry about that. I lost control there. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. No, they're not. We can't conceive of that. We can't conceive of the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth 
for the manifestation of the sons of God. That's a pretty cool verse. Of the creature? Really, this is a, a really in of creation. The earnest expectation of, of the creature, of all really all creation, waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Manifestation? Well, to be made manifest means to be like unveiled. To be made manifest. Well, the Bible says all creation groaneth also. It's, it says that too. Does it say that here? Yeah, it does. We're going to get to that verse in a second. Creation groans for this? They wait for the manifestation of the sons of God? Huh. When are they going to fully be revealed? Well, I think we're moving into that time when they're going to really start being revealed. I think God's going to do more with the true remnant going into the times that we're moving into than, there's, than has ever been done in the face of the planet. Why do I say that? Well, I think the Bible bears it out. In the book of Revelation alone, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. There's going to be 144,000 male Jews of the 12 tribes, 12,000 for each tribe, that are going to be going around doing great and mighty things. Is this, is this part of the manifestation of the sons of God? I do believe that God's going to use his remnant more. Why do I also say that? Because the Bible says, where darkness abound, grace all the more. Well, as it gets darker and darker and darker, doesn't God, by consequence, have to use his true remnant to a greater and greater and greater degree? Is he just going to sit up on the throne and, and throw up his hands and say, I give up? Uh-uh. Like most Christians want to do. No. I think it only is reasonable to conclude that there is going to be a greater manifestation of the sons of God. Who's that? Join heirs with Christ. People sitting here today, I just see no reason why it wouldn't, couldn't be us, and or people that are really wanting to seek truth. That's exciting to me. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who have subjected him, subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Now see, the cre creature and the creation have been delivered into bondage. When did that start? Adam. Sin entered into the world. The Garden of Eden was perfect. But never, ever, ever have we seen that perfection in, in um, the environment or in society until that, whence we left the garden. We've never seen that since. The creature itself also shall be delivered from, from the bondage of corruption, that corruption entered in with Adam, into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Well, could this have anything to do with all of the earthquakes in diverse places, all these natural disasters that the Bible predicted was going to happen? Jesus said that. When you shall see these things, you know, know that I am at the door. My redemption not nigh. Um, all these things that are happening in the environment right now are predicted by Jesus in the four Gospels. Does this have anything to do with 
with we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now? Well, those birth pains and these, these groaning and travailings are getting worse and worse and worse. As sin is getting worse and worse and worse, so is creation groaning and travailing more. In pain, this grieves creation, what's going on in this world. The blood of the innocents cry out from the land. Uh, when Cain was walking, God said that to me. He says, your brother's blood cries out from the land. How much more a billion babies being slaughtered in the last, since the 30s. A billion babies, at least. At least. Probably more. A billion babies. Well, God said the, the blood of one, Abel's blood, just one, cries out from the land. And that defiles the land. How much more so a billion babies, innocent babies? Abel was at least an adult. Maybe he could have defended himself. I mean, at least he had had a chance to live life. Little baby in the womb is as helpless as you could possibly get. How much more grievous is that for God? How much more grievous is that for creation? So, um, uh, judgment's nigh. It's, it's at the door. It has to be. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan with our, within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. Now, I think this adoption that they're talking about is truly when you get when you go to glory. That's the true. Then you've really been adopted. Okay, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. Well, then that's saying that when. Truly, when we're 100% lock, stock, and barrel, fully adopted, when it's a really done deal, it's when our body is actually redeemed. The resurrection of our earthly bodies. Okay, that, talked, that we talked about in, in 2 Thessalonians 2, um, where it talks about when we, when we go together to meet Jesus in the clouds. That's the actual resurrection of our earthly bodies to wit the redemption of our body. And I'm not going to get dogmatic about the rapture, okay? But I'm saying that there is going to come a day when we meet Jesus in the clouds, okay? And that's the resurrection. The Bible's very clear on that. So, it says, um, then, for we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? You understand what that means? Well, if, if you see it, it's, if it's in front of you, then there's no... It's just, it's just a matter of fact. It's a matter of... It's there. You may have hoped for it up until that point, but once it's manifest right in front of you before your eyes and you're living in that reality, then it's not of hope anymore. It's not of faith anymore. That's why Jesus says, Blessed... When, when Thomas said, you know, Oh, I've seen, i put my, my hand in the nail print and this type of thing. But he said to Tommy, he says, blessed are those that do not see and still believe, essentially. So, see, it's more blessed to not see and still believe. Why? Because it takes more faith. And the greater the faith, the greater the reward. I believe that. If you could still have that level of faith and still hope without ever seeing, then that shows that your faith is strong. But if you have to see everything or have to have all these nuggets thrown in front of you, 
like Thomas did in order for to believe, then your faith's not really strong if you think about it. So it says, for we are saved by hope, but, but hope that is seen is not hope. So if you got to see it, then it's not really hope, because you've already seen it. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for what we see not, that's what we're. That's why we're here. That's why we're here today meeting. Because we have hope in us for what we see not. We've never seen heaven. We've never seen Jesus Christ manifest in this plane. At least I haven't. Well, you're basing your whole life on something you've never seen? Sure am. Sure am. Yep. Well, you're nuts. Well, I think it takes a whole lot more faith to believe what you believe, Mr. Evolution. We, we evolved from a rock. A big Bang happened. Well, where did the Big Bang come from? Where did the rock come from? Where did the primordial rain that rained on the rocks for millions of years and formed a primordial soup, and out of that soup formed a, a two-cell amoeba that sprouted legs and became a frog and then eventually turned into a bird or a monkey? I don't know. That takes a lot more faith to believe that, I think. Or whatever other thing you might believe. But if we hope for what we see not, then do we with patience wait for it? Patience, fun. How do you develop patience? By waiting. It's the only way to develop it. Likewise, the Spirit also helped our infirmities. Now this is capital S, Holy Spirit. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Well now this is not tongues. Because it says... The Spirit itself maketh groanings which cannot be uttered. Well, when you pray in tongues, you, you're uttering it, aren't you? Utter means to speak. That's not to be confused with otter, which is that little furry animal that roams the seas and lakes and river systems of our, of our great country. Sorry. Anyway. Um, huh. That's pretty cool. Did you know that? In a, in a way, what it is, is like the Holy Spirit's inside us. It's almost like the Holy Spirit is praying in tongues inside us, in a way, because the Bible says that it maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Well, that doesn't sound like words, or something that, 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 that are even uttered. But the Holy Spirit says it does this. So the Holy Spirit is inside us making intercession. Who's it making intercession to? I believe... To God the Father on the throne. Who is our heavenly advocate? Jesus Christ. Whoever sitteth, whoever maketh intercession for the saints. So, Jesus Christ is on the right hand of God the Father Almighty, make, ever making intercession for the saints. Holy Spirit is living inside us, also making intercession for us, with groanings which cannot be uttered. That's pretty cool. And then if we're praying especially if two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. The, affection, fervil, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, but don't have iniquity in your heart because the Lord can't hear you though. So we've got, did you realize that we've got all these, Jesus Christ is praying for us, he ever maketh intercession for the saints. Holy Spirit who lives inside us is praying also. It says it right here. How many times have you heard of, of a sermon preached on what I just talked about here? Ever? I don't think I ever have. Oh, we don't want to get a... Oh, I don't know how to explain that. The Bible says to be able to give an answer for the hope that is within you. What, what, what is there that's so freaky about that? 
It's not my rule book. It's it's God's. So this this is not tongues because tongues are uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So, the Holy Spirit that lives inside us makes intercession, which is fervent, like fervent prayer, according to the will of God. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. So, the, the, the Holy Spirit that lives inside just searches our hearts. Verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. Praise the Lord. That sounds good to me. This is a verse that you could memorize. Um, when things get tough. You know? We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. So no matter how bad things get, this verse still applies. No matter how bad things get, this verse is not negated. No matter how bad things get, this verse is not blotted out of the Word of God. But it's really easy to forget this verse. I know I have. Going through something horrific? It's hard to walk around with a bluebird on your shoulder. Maybe a red-breasted meganser, but not a bluebird. Sorry. For whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate. Now, he did foreknow the Holy Spirit, God the Father, Jesus. He did foreknow. The Bible says to Isaiah, he says, Before I formed thee in the womb, I knew thee and ordained thee a prophet. Before I formed thee in the womb? Wow. I would say that that means any, anything that's considered an abortion in God's eyes is anything that destroys the sperm and the egg at conception. I don't know. God, God's the one that, that gives life. I think that's His business. For whom He did foreknow... Now, He did foreknow, but He did not force... That's the, that's, see, that's where we get into the whole Calvinism thing here. We don't want to think that, well, yes, I was appointed under this before the foundation. Yes, yes, you were, but don't get all puffed up with pride and think that, therefore, you're just grandfathered in because you were special and you were for... No, that's pride, and you're deceived if you're in that mindset. Does God know the beginning from the end? Absolutely. He knows who's going to get saved and who doesn't. He foreknew, but he still did not force. Did God force you to get saved? Can you recall when you got saved? Did he force you? Was he there back there like you with you and a half Nelson? Oh, you know, I gotta get saved. He will kick the door down your heart. For whom he did foreknow, he did also to predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Well, that's what he's wanting to predestinate all of us toward, to be conformed to the image of his son. <clears throat> that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Okay, Christ was the firstborn among many brethren. What? Oh. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them 
he also called. Of whom he called, them he also justified. So, he predestinated you from the foundation of the world. True. Okay, true. Bible says this. No, thank you. Please do not get into Calvinism. Please do not go and think, oh, it's just all set, done deal, no need to soul win, no need to do nothing. Then you're playing God. That's pride. Okay? But Calvinists could come to this and, oh, have a field day with these verses. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Of whom he called, them he also justified. Justified means to be made just in the sight of God. He justified us. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. How are we justified? Through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we're justified. Through his death, burial, and resurrection. Through our faith in the Son of God, what he did on this earth. What shall we say then? What shall then what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? That's a faith building verse. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him, him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Now granted, we can't be asking things so that we may consume it upon our own lusts. And we may not get exactly what we want when we want it. But it says, He that spared not his own Son, this meaning God the Father, spared not his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. So this is a verse that many will use in order to say, Oh, you don't judge me. Who shall lay anything to God's elect? Are you God's elect, number one? If you're living like the devil and calling yourself a Christian, I have doubts. You should have doubts of me. If I call myself a Christian and I'm living like the devil, or I'm doing things that are very, very contradictory to the Word of God, well, you should question me. Start with me first. Does that make you feel any better? Well, no, because now I can't point the finger at you and call you sanctimonious and condescending and bombastic. I can't do that. I don't like it. You're... you're you're foiling my attempts to, to point the finger at you, Brother Johnson. You apostate you. Well, sorry. Sorry about that. I kind of headed you off with the past, didn't I? But I mean what I say. I mean that. I mean, start with me. Start with me. I'm not going to try to hold you to any higher accountability than I would hold myself. Because if I did do that, that would make me a hypocrite. I don't like you. Well, I'm sorry. And I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? <coughs> I'm just so stinking sick of seeing all of this apostasy going on in the body of Christ. All the things that, that are winked at as sin, and nobody, you know, seems to be raising a finger to do anything about it. There's so much apathy. Not, I shouldn't say nobody, because then that groups everybody into the same boat. No, I don't mean nobody, but I mean the majority. The apathy is just unbelievable. What is apathy? I'm not caring. I don't care. Whatever. Huh? Whatever. I don't care. That's apathy. Who shall anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. 
Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is at the right hand of God. There we go. He's at the right hand of God. Let's make that clear. Who also maketh intercession for us. Well, didn't I just say he ever maketh intercession for the saints? There's another verse that confirms that. So now we've got the Holy Spirit making intercession for us that lives inside us. And then Christ up there making intercession for us before God the Father. Now we also have the devil before the throne of God accusing the brethren both day and night. So if we have a lot of sin in our life, he has ammunition to accuse us. So we don't want to give him that ammunition. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Well, is there anything that will make you give up on God? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Well, this probably has something to do with also being crucified with Christ, according to Galatians 2.20. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. It's always through Christ. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, that pretty much speaks for itself there. Um, let me just check the time here. Okay, and we're at 12.30, and we're, we're all the way to chapter 9, so I'll go, it's probably a good place to stop there. And um, I'll go ahead and close this out with a word of prayer. What? Well, that's good. That means that you hopefully got something out of it, too. Um, Heavenly Father, we, we do thank you for this time that you've given us. Um, all your goodness and your mercy, God, that you've bestowed upon us every day, God. Every breath you've given us. Every bit of food and water and shelter and clothing, the roof over our heads, the air that we breathe, Lord God. We thank you for these things. We praise you, God, for your mercy that you've had on us to save our souls, Father God. Now we pray, Lord God, that you save those that you've put in our lives. Lord God, we, say, we pray, God, that any of those that, that can be saved, Lord God, that you would save their souls, for it's your will that not one would perish, but that all would come to repentance, God, that your name would be glorified through the body of Christ, that you would use the body of Christ to save many souls, that your fear would be upon the body of Christ, upon those that they are ministering to, upon the sin-sick world, God, that you would expose the wickedness and the deeds of wickedness of, of that are going on in this country, God, even worldwide. I do, God, pray and believe that some of these things that are being exposed with the politicians, with the, with the so-called pseudo-clergy of this country, is your will. That they be exposed, God, for the charlatans, for the fakes that they are, Pray to God if it would be possible, even they would be saved. But if not, God, we claim Psalm 64 over them, Lord God, that all men would see and fear and declare the work of God, for they would wisely consider of your doing, and that the righteous would be glad in the Lord and trust in Him, and all the upright in heart would glory. I pray, God, that you would really deal with these people. God, that you would strip them of all their witchcraft, all their sorcery, God. That they would have no 
authority to work evil, that they would be exposed for what they are, God. Because if they continue to get away with what they're doing with God, they're just going to go to hell and take people with them. So, Lord God, I pray to God they be judged in this lifetime, God. That others, that others would have a hope of getting saved. That these pastors, Lord God, that are lukewarm, would, Lord God, either be forced out of their apostate ministries, or repent, Lord God, in heaven, and truly serve you, and truly live and want truth. We thank you, Lord God. I pray you bring us back at the next appointed time. I pray to God you give us hearts to receive, eyes to see, and ears to hear. I pray, God, that you would forgive us for any and all sins that we have committed in any way, shape, and form, God. And that your will, Lord God, would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord God, in heaven. I pray, God, that every evil entity that would try to hinder this prayer in any way, shape, or form would be bound in a rebuke, God, and if it be thy will, cast into the abyss. We love you, Lord God. We ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.